Welcome to the Prosperity Gap, where we discuss the financial gap that exists between you and your retirement. It's time to bridge that gap. Hello, everyone. Dave Hall, the Prosperity Guy here. Welcome to the show where I help you bridge the gap that exists between you and your retirement. I do this by helping you gain the knowledge and the tools you need for a tax-free and risk-free retirement. For those of you who have not yet subscribed to the show, what are you waiting for? Every Friday, I release new content that will help you better understand your retirement and the risks that it faces. This week's been a little stressful for me. I'm getting ready to go back to Puerto Rico in hopes of getting two of my three cars shipped off the island. They got stuck in Puerto Rico because of the pandemic when we moved to Tennessee back in May. Everything's supposed to be open back up on the island now, so I'm really hoping I can have some success, but I must admit I'm quite stressed out. In theory, you wouldn't think getting cars that you own outright off an island would be such a problem. But trust me, when dealing with the Puerto Rican government, nothing is ever as easy as it should be. The topic of today's show is long-term care. Most people don't realize that a long-term care event is one of the biggest risks they face in retirement, and that if it isn't addressed, it can completely destroy an otherwise well-planned-out retirement. But before I tell you why, let's take a moment for a word from our sponsor. Today's show is being brought to you by eTrends Group, CPAs and Strategic Advisors. To learn more about their services and how they can help you with your common and not-so-common financial problems, go to www.etrendsgroup.com. I mentioned before the break, a long-term care event is one of the biggest risks most people will face in retirement. You may be asking, is this really true? And if so, why? The answer to the first question is yes, it is true. Over 70% of retirees who live to life expectancy will be faced with some type of long-term care event. Now to question number two, the reason why. The reason so many retirees will be faced with a long-term care event is because of longevity. Now, the great news is we're living longer today than our parents or even our grandparents did. But the bad news is that this longevity isn't always because we're in great health. It often is because doctors are better trained to help keep us alive, even though our quality of life might not be as good as we would like it to be. Let me take a minute here to share a story to help you better understand why long-term care can be such a problem in retirement. After 40 years of working hard to secure a nice retirement for he and his wife, Anna, Clarence Johnson finally quit his job as an executive at the local bank. Clarence and Anna enjoyed their lives together and were really looking forward to retirement and the freedom it would give them to do all those things they'd put off during their working years. Security had always been a very important part of their lives, so they had been consistent in their savings since they got married, even electing to forego buying things they really wanted at times, all in hopes of them being able to enjoy an amazing future together. The first 10 years of the Johnson's retirement were amazing, but then Clarence's life started to change. Slowly he got to a point where he could no longer do the task he used to be able to do each day with ease. It was getting so bad that Anna knew she could no longer keep up with the care Clarence needed. So she contacted her local long-term care facility to try to help out. She had heard these facilities were very expensive, But her and Clarence both had Medicare, so how bad could it really be? Unfortunately for Anna, it didn't take long for her to learn how bad it was going to be because in her first meeting with the facility, she was informed Medicare does not cover long-term care events. The only government assistance Clarence could qualify for is Medicaid. But before Medicaid could even step in, Anna and Clarence would need to use their own assets first to cover the costs. Once they spent down their assets to where they only had one car, 
one house, about $128,000 of liquid assets, and $2,500 of monthly income, then they could come back to their local Medicaid office and see what they could do to help them. Clarence ended up being in the local private long-term care facility for just over four years before dying quietly in his sleep. The long-term care facility had done a great job of taking care of Clarence, but it came with a huge price tag. At a cost of about $150,000 per year, the Johnsons were required to spend down just over $600,000 of their own assets to cover this event. For Clarence, this spending down wasn't a problem because at this point, he had already passed away. But for Anna, Clarence's long-term care event had completely ruined her future retirement. She would now be required to live a lifestyle that was much lower than her and Clarence had been able to enjoy most of their married lives. Unfortunately, this story I just told you is the story of far too many retirees. My goal today is to help you better understand long-term care and the effects a long-term care event can have on your retirement so you can start addressing the issues now rather than waiting like the Johnsons to where it's too late. A long-term care event happens when you get to a point in your life you can no longer perform two to three of the six basic activities needed for daily living. These six basic activities are number one, bathing yourself. Number two, dressing yourself. Number three, being able to use the toilet. Number four, being able to transfer yourself, which means being able to move from a bed to a chair without any help from anyone else. Number five, continence. This is the ability to take care of your basic hygiene. And the last one, number six, is your ability to eat. If you cannot perform two to three of these tasks, you're deemed to be in need of long-term care. Now, why do I say two to three of these six basic tasks? Because depending on what company you're working with to try to determine your long-term care need, some will use two and others will use three. What's the main problem when you get to the point you're in need of long-term care assistance? Normal health insurance programs, including Medicare, are not going to step in and help cover the costs of the long-term care event. The only program the federal government has to address long-term care is Medicaid, and all the federal government really does is provide guidelines to each state on how they should address long-term care for their residents. Some of the federal guidelines you should be aware of are that if you're single or if both spouses need long-term care, the government's going to require you to spend down your liquid assets to between $2,000 and $3,000 before they step in. If you're a married couple and only one of you is in need of long-term care, the other spouse can keep somewhere between $25,728 and $128,640 as a community spouse resource allowance. The only assets that are exempt from the spend down is one house. As long as your spouse who is not in need of long-term care is living in it, your household furnishings, one car, and about $1,500 of life insurance. So as you can see, there are very few assets getting excluded if you're in need of the government's assistance with a long-term care event. There is also a minimum monthly maintenance needs allowance the federal government controls the limit on. The lower limits, $2,113.75 a month, and the upper limits, $3,216 a month. So as you can see, this is not a large amount of money you're going to be able to keep. And the only way to qualify for the upper limit of $3,216 is if you also qualify for the monthly housing and utility allowance. As retirees have tried to figure out how they would address long-term care, they've historically had to choose from one of three options. The first option is the one used by most people, but it wasn't because it worked so well. It was because this option was the default option for those who didn't plan. 
This option is to self-insure. This means that retirees would take the responsibility to cover the cost of long-term care with the assets they had available until they spent down their assets to a point where the government would step in and help them out. As you can tell from everything I've said and the story I shared previously, this option is not a good option for anyone who is expected to have anything left after a long-term care event. The second option was to rely on family members. Now, this option is one many people have had to use, but this option is riddled with problems from the beginning. The biggest one is the loss of self-respect many retirees have to deal with when they're forced with putting their burdens upon someone else. One of the other big problems with this option is the demands a long-term care event places on those who are required to financially support the event, or even more so for those who elect to give the care. Long-term care is very demanding, and it can wreak havoc in the lives of those who are required to provide services to those who are in need on a daily basis. The third option was to buy long-term care insurance. This is where a policy would be purchased specifically for the purpose of covering the long-term care event. Although this option was better than the other two, it's by no means a perfect solution because of the following reasons. Number one, you have to qualify for long-term care insurance. You're subject to any pre-existing conditions, which means if you have a bad knee or a bad back, you're probably not going to even be able to qualify for the insurance. The second, the cost of insurance can be very expensive. Long-term care insurance can cost anywhere from $2,000 to $10,000 a year. When you add this to the high amounts that you have to pay for medical insurance, these premiums can just be too much for the average retirees. Third, many of the long-term care insurance companies are either going out of business or no longer offer long-term care coverage. If you end up being one of the unlucky ones who purchase long-term care insurance through a company that's no longer in business, you will end up losing not only your investment, but also your insurance. And fourth, let's say you died peacefully in your sleep after having paid long-term care premiums for a period of 20 years. What would you get in exchange for the benefits you paid? Absolutely nothing. There are no refunds. There's no account adjustments. You get absolutely zero. Your money is going to end up being used to cover the costs of others who bought insurance from the same company you did. As I talk about all this, you may be starting to feel a little overwhelmed because I've given you a whole lot of bad news today without much good news. But please know there's an option out there to help solve the problem, and it comes as part of a great benefit package for retirees. The option that many people are starting to choose to cover the risk of having a future long-term care event is a life insurance retirement plan. You've been on my previous shows. You know that I've talked about the benefits, and this is one of the biggest benefits. This is a permanent insurance policy that contains a long-term care rider. There are a number of reasons this solution has become the solution of choice for many retirees. There are two big ones I really like personally. The first one's the cost. In order to add long-term care rider onto your permanent insurance policy, it doesn't cost you anything if done through the right insurance company. This means that you've just solved one of the biggest risks facing your retirement without having to spend a dime for it. The second benefit, if you end up having a long-term care event and have to use the insurance to cover it, the money received is going to be tax-free which is a huge benefit, especially when you see the current tax structure for deducting medical expenses. If the money were not tax-free, you could end up having to lose a third of the money that's supposed to be used to cover your long-term care event to the federal and state government. Now that I've given you the good news that there is a cost-effective solution to addressing the long-term care risk facing your retirement, let me conclude with these final thoughts. If you want a retirement that looks anything like the retirement you spend most of your working years dreaming about, you've got to start spending your time putting together a retirement plan 
that will allow you to eliminate the risk facing your retirement. And remember, long-term care is just one of the eight risks I talk about when it comes to risk facing your retirement. The others are tax rate risk, which is the risk that tax rates will be higher in the future. The second is longevity risk. This is that you're going to live much longer than your ancestors lived. Sequence of return risk, the risk that the stock market will go down when you're having to pull money out of the market. Withdrawal rate risk, the risk that you're going to pull out too much money and liquidate your assets before you run out of life. Social security risk, the risk that you take your social security at the wrong time and therefore don't maximize your benefits, or that you also put yourself in a situation where you have provisional income and your social security is going to be taxed throughout the rest of your retirement. Inflation risk, the risk that you're not able to keep up with inflation and therefore lose spending power during your retirement years. And the last one is income diversification risk. Very important for retirees to have multiple streams of tax-free income. Now, Prosperity Nation, if you're ready to take action and start addressing the risk facing your retirement, please go to my website, theprosperityguy.com. Here you'll be able to sign up for a consultation with one of our certified prosperity advisors who's trained to help get rid of the risk and get you to a tax-free and risk-free retirement, especially helping you deal with the risk that we talked about today, which is long-term care risk. Prosperity Nation, it is time for questions and answers with our producer, C.R. Tulane. Hey, C.R., welcome back. Dave, the weeks are flying by. It is unbelievable to me that we can go seven days and be back, and it seems like it's been about uh, maybe a day, day and a half. Yeah, amazing, right? So I had a question for you today, and it's in regards to traveling. I know we've talked about various trips that we've taken, you going on your brocation with the younger boys here. What is the place you've been to a city, a state, a country, whatever it's been, that you feel has the strangest name? Well, one of the ones I went to, I was actually almost a year ago today, we went to a place called Fouke, Arkansas, and that's (laughs) F-O-U-K-E. Wow, I have not heard of that. And I've been throughout a lot of the state of Arkansas. I've never heard that one. So this is a a strange place we went to. We were just trying to get gas and I I put it in there and I saw the name and I laughed and I said, I have to stop there. Well, when we got to Fouk, Arkansas, I drove down the streets, very, very small town. And I happened to come across Monster Mart. Now, Monster Mart is a gas station, kind of old fashioned on the outside. It's got a huge monster above the door and it's reaching its arms across the door. So I go inside and I said, what is happening here? And to my right is a Boggy Creek Monster Museum. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's very similar to Bigfoot, but it's the biggest sightings of anywhere for this Boggy Creek Monster. And so everybody comes to Fook, Arkansas to check out this monster. And so now they've made it into this destination. It's got a, but it's in a gas station. So it's in a little corner of a room. So imagine taking your bathroom and turning it into a museum. I want to hear some crazy or a place that you've been that's maybe something similar. Yeah, no, this show is not meant to pick on Arkansas. You're going to uh, hear that my craziest place has also been in Arkansas, and it was this <laughs> week. Now, I've been there before. There was this a uh, couple of weeks ago when I went with my family, and the name of the place is called Toad Suck, Arkansas. <laughs> but we is had this to, real? It is real. It is real. So, inside the city. Now, I don't know what else is there. It's just on the outside of Conway. 
But the only two things that are there as far as a tourist, you've got a, a Toadsuck Park. So there's a beautiful park there that you can go to. They've got a convenience store. That's the only place you can get Toadsuck memorabilia. So we did have to stop in and make sure my wife and all my kids and I got a Toadsuck shirt. <laughs> and then some guy up in the hills has put in a restaurant. Uh, I stopped in to talk to him. And he said it started out as just a place for people to come and hang out. They wanted to come out to his place. He's retired. And before he knew it, he ended up opening a restaurant because they all got hungry. They'd come out, spend the evening, and they're all so hungry that he decided instead of having to pay to feed them, that they could pay him to eat. So he opened this little restaurant out there. It's become quite a popular place. And now he and his wife run it during the retirement years. Wow, that's awesome. I'm not sure where it came from. Unfortunately, nobody knew the history that I talked to in regards to where it came, but they do also have a Toad Suck Days. It was back in May, so I miss it, but I do plan next year when May rolls around, if I have the time, to go to Toad Suck Days so I can learn more about Toad Suck Arkansas. Well, and I hope you get a chance to go see Fook, Arkansas. Okay, well, I am going to look forward to that, and I'm also going to look forward to getting some ideas so I can turn one of my bathrooms in my house into some type of museum. I'd love to have people come over and have something different to look at for a change. So I encourage you to uh, maybe (laughs) explore and do something different with your bathroom in Tennessee. So we do have a lot of squirrels, so maybe it could be the Squirrel Museum. Okay, CR, I guess it's time to get to our questions for this week. Okay, Dave, I have a couple questions for you. So my first one is, you mentioned tax-free income does not count towards provisional income, but tax-free municipal bond interest does count towards provisional income. What am I missing? A couple of things I need to make sure that everyone understands it's listening. And provisional income is the income that causes your Social Security to be taxed. So the government calculates it using your taxable income any tax-free interest income, and half of your Social Security. So the question here is in regards to those municipal bonds that in theory would be tax-free to you but are going to cause provisional income. We do not include those into our calculations when we talk about tax-free income. And there's a couple of reasons why. One, with what's being explained here, which is the fact that it causes provisional income. The other is if you move states and you move to another state with municipal bonds from the state you move from, those municipal bonds are no longer going to be tax-free. So we want to ensure that they're federal tax-free, state tax-free, capital gains tax-free, and they don't cause your Social Security to be taxed. So we would not include these municipal bonds in our bucket, in that third bucket of the tax-free bucket. And I think we talked about this last week also, as we talk in particular states, but you talked about as we move states or as we're in a state that this takes effect. Again, what happens if we move? Yeah, this is one of the things people really need to consider, especially as you're trying to get into the tax-free bucket. If you're doing conversions and you're rolling money over, you need to take into consideration where you're going to live in retirement. For example, if you live in Nevada right now and you're going to move to California, let's say, so you're going from a zero tax state into a very high tax state, you definitely want to move that money over as fast as you can. But what if it's the reverse, that so you're living in California paying a you know, 13% tax maybe, and you're planning to move to Nevada where there's no income tax, all of that's got to be taken in consideration as you slowly start moving money out of your tax-deferred bucket into your tax-free bucket. And I'm glad you bring this up because I think a lot of people are not focused on this. They're just focused on that, that one bucket and they really don't diversify. And I think what you're talking about is really making sure that we're planning and being prepared. 
We don't spend enough time really looking at what retirement's going to be like. We realize we've got to have a bucket of money and somehow that that bucket of money will then provide us with retirement. But we don't go through all the risks. And that's what's great about the things that we teach. We talk about tax risk, longevity risk, all these other risks that we have. We need to address those because that's the only way that we can really start planning for what retirement's really going to look like. One of the things I'm impressed with, Dave, is that you always talk about this, and it's something I've never thought about, but you you talk about helping people get through retirement and not to retirement. Yes, to me, that's one of the biggest problems that many financial planners have is they're only focused on getting you there, and even CPAs to some level. Yeah, and they want to look good. They're out there to save you money, and the way they can look good is by ensuring that you're getting some type of deduction or deferral. And therefore, they're putting most of your money into this tax-deferred bucket. It makes them look good. It makes you feel good because you're paying less tax. But when you look at trying to get through retirement, the reality that we're in historically low tax rates, you've got to take a different approach. And we've got to take a time where we're willing to give up the cookie today to have two cookies somewhere in the future. And I definitely want two cookies. Yeah, me too. I'm not sure even where that came from. Must be hungry. (laughs) Okay, Dave, I'm ready for for my next question for you. Is guaranteed lifetime income an important part of an overall retirement plan? In my opinion, it is a critical part of an overall retirement plan. And that's why Social Security was established back in 1935, is to make sure that we had a plan to help keep the elderly, especially off of poverty. When Social Security was put into place, there was about 50% of retirees that were living in the poverty level. Now we fast forward to 2020 and it's under 10%. We're about 9.5% of retirees are living in the poverty level. But the guaranteed income ensures that you can cover all those living expenses, especially during a period of time that we have now where we're living so much longer than previous generations. And there's many people listening to this podcast that are going to live past 100. That is a long time if you're retiring at age 62, 65, even 70. I mean, you've got over 30 years of a self-imposed period of time where you are unemployed. Isn't that the fear of most Americans that we're going to live too long? 68% are afraid that they're going to run out of money before they die, which is that you're going to live longer than the income that you have. So yeah, it's become a big problem and it's one that can be addressed, but it's going to take planning and time to be able to make sure that you get yourself in a situation that you don't have to worry. And the great way to do that is by getting additional guaranteed lifetime income besides your social security. And a great way to do that is by using an annuity. And then you get both your cookies. You do get both your cookies. Yep. And you get to eat them too. (laughs) So CR, I'm going to ask the third question for today. Usually you get asked the questions, but I thought it would be fun for me to take time to ask a question to you. Is that okay this week? I'm ready. Shoot. So this was sent in from one of our listeners. I see pictures of CR and he's always wearing orange. What is the backstory? Wow. Well, there is a backstory to this. My wife and I, we grew up in Salt Lake City and we just kind of on a whim decided we wanted to move. And I've always followed the Tennessee volunteers. And so we looked at a place in Knoxville, Tennessee. We put our house on the market. It sold within a week. We packed up our bags, flew out to Knoxville, found a home, moved out there another week later after I turned in my two-week notice at my job. And we started life out in Knoxville. And when I got there, I was a Tennessee volunteer fan, but I didn't realize how big of a fan I could be 
because everywhere I was going, everyone was wearing orange. And Friday was typically before a game is the day you wear orange. And I really, really embraced that tradition because I love seeing a sea of orange. I love seeing people that were passionate about a team win or lose. They were passionate. They were there. They were still wearing their orange. Well, fast forward to that. We moved away from Knoxville. We moved to Southern Utah to be closer to my in-laws. And when we moved there, kind of struggled. I went through a really hard time. But when I was there, one thing that I really liked was the, the orange. It brought me comfort. It reminded me of being in Tennessee. Besides that, everyone in the town where I moved to in Enterprise, they were all wearing blue and gold. And I didn't want to fit in quite yet. So I wanted to be different. And so I wore orange every day to kind of make a statement. And uh, so between that and, and my comfort, it kind of became my identity and people started calling me Orange Man or Tennessee. And it's one of those things that I just embraced and I've really taken it probably over where it should be. My wife always says that orange is now not her favorite color, <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of the history of why. And now I wear it every day because it becomes kind of who I am and it's my identity. That's super cool. And I know when you first started wearing it, it was strange being raised in the area. The only time generally in that small town you would see orange was during hunting season. People would usually wear orange as a form of protection. So maybe it was you protecting yourself from all the crazies that lived in our little small town. I also commend you on not being a bandwagoner. I know there's so many people out there that just get on the bandwagon and they go with the team as long as they're winning and then they switch sides. And I appreciate what you said about sticking with the team, whether it's winning or losing. And I will tell you, it's been very hard. Last season was probably the first time we've had a nine-win season or, or above. I mean, since 2005, it's been horrendous. It's been hard. I mean, I think we've had a couple where we've gotten close, but it's been tough and it's not easy to, to wear a volunteer shirt when you go into Georgia territory or Florida because I've been on vacation to there and I wear my Tennessee balls with pride. Yeah, look forward to it. Uh, it's interesting for us here. I have always been a Los Angeles Laker fan. I was raised back in the Magic Johnson even the Bill Walton, you know, they talk about period of time and players back in the, when Bill Walton was playing. But uh, I was raised in those days. I did not ever live in a city where they had professional basketball. So now that we're in Tennessee, we've got the Memphis Grizzlies. My son and I have been super excited to become Memphis Grizzly fans just because we know we can go to the games consistently. But it's quite funny because one of us will always have a Los Angeles Laker hat or shirt. And the other one will have a Memphis Grizzly hat or shirt or a combination of the two. So we're not quite sure when they play each other who we're going to cheer for, but we uh, definitely are happy to support some of the sports teams and to be able to spend that time together uh, building our bonding relationship with each other. Well, I hope that I start seeing you in blue all the time. You will see a lot of blue. Blue has been my favorite color for years. So not only is it nice that my team now has blue, but uh, I am a blue fan. Well, CR, thank you for being on the show today. I appreciate uh, the time we're able to spend again together. For those of you that have questions, please feel free to submit those on our website, theprosperityguy.com, where we'll get them answered on a future show. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of The Prosperity Gap. If you want to learn more about The Prosperity Guy, or if you have questions you would like answered on a future show, go to theprosperityguy.com. While on the site, take time to look around. We offer a number of educational opportunities for those who want to learn more about tax-free and risk-free retirement.